Yeah, thanks, Jordan, just for being a faithful Bible teacher through the Amos series and pointing us to the hope of, of Christ today. That was, that was awesome, just walking us through that passage. And um, Guys, just so you know, you can continue to be asking questions as uh, I read off some of the questions that have already been asked, and we'll do our best to get to them. Um, but again, we're just tackling the topic of biblical justice in general and kind of walking back through some things that we've learned some, from Amos and questions that that's brought up for you. So if it's not directly related to the topic, feel free to ask those questions too, um, because we'd love to really know what you guys are thinking so that we can be purposeful in answering those questions. So um, I'll ask myself the first question, since you just preached, I'll give you just a little break, catch your <laughs> breath, okay? Um, so the first question is, so last week, Drew told the story of a businessman who said, the Christians were the most judgmental and hypocritical people that I know. How do we handle that experience within the church? And how do we share the gospel with people that have been hurt in this way? And I think that's such a pertinent question for today because that's one of the main accusations that's being lobbed at the church right now. People are pointing out, specifically in the political sphere, the hypocritical um, nature of white evangelicals. In, in, you know, in general, and a lot of us can feel like, okay, the target is on me. What do I do with that? And I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give to unbelievers is humility. And when they point out something that's true, even if it's convicting to us, we simply say, yeah, I think you're right. And, and we're actually, instead of being outraged and fighting back and engaging kind of like whataboutism where we say, but what about this? And what about this group of people? And what about that group of people? We just sit back and say, yeah, that's true. That breaks my heart too. And I actually see that in my own life. And that's something that, that I've tried to model and something that I've been saying to people recently is that in the last year, I've just noticed how biased I am and how I see certain things in ways that are initially unhelpful and I've had to learn to step back and to see things differently. So uh, I think we don't have to always be fighting against the culture because actually the culture often has really prophetic and good things to say to us as Christians. Okay, Jordan, you ready for one? Sure. How about, um, what would you say, or what would God say to those who struggle with judging their brother, brothers and sisters in Christ? I think this is a problem in the church. Mm. I mean, I, I think I have just been personally wrecked in a lot of ways by the book of Amos that talks a lot about judgment um, I, I think that's largely the purpose of the book is that it, and yeah, and largely the purpose of the warnings of God towards judgment is that it would produce humility. Um, and I think when we think about judgment at times, um, Christians have been guilty of maybe pointing the finger at some other person or some other group of 
people that God might bring judgment on without being self-reflective on ways that we would deserve that judgment. And so I think a recognition that we all deserve judgment. That there's, there's not an exception to that. Now, there are people who will not receive judgment because of the grace of, of Christ. But we all deserve judgment. I think that brings a, a recognition and a self-reflection and a willingness to, to put yourself under the weight of judgment before you're um, sort of pointing the finger at someone else. It reminds me of Jesus talking about, hey, let's not take the speck out of somebody else's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. There, I think there's this concept of kind of recognizing your, your own humanity and that if someone might receive the judgment of God, that, that you, you're not that different from them. Now, what I don't think that means is you can't ever speak honestly about judgment because the scripture does. And so I do actually think there's a time and a place to say, look, God has standards and, and people who have not understood uh, how to follow Jesus will ultimately receive justice if there is not repentance. I, like, we should be able to say that, but we also should be able to say that with a humility and a sadness as opposed to this kind of triumphant, we're right, you're wrong. I think the attitude with which you approach the conversation matters a lot and can help you reflect the character of Jesus, even if you're speaking kind of hard words. I think I'd just add to that that you want to check your judgments about other people and do that by just humble self-reflection. And so I think what that often means is you'll have a conversation, at least this, this is what happens to me, and I state something too strongly in that conversation. Imagine that, me stating something too strongly. No, never. And, um, for those of you who know me. And, uh, and then you've got to circle back around. And you've got to say, hey, I stated that too strongly. I, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? So I think there's this, there's this fluidity to this, which gets to the reality that, that I would say, you've got to really um, commit to the church. It's kind of a sidebar. But it's a lot easier to fight when you know you're on the same team, ultimately. You're part of the family. And I see so many people, they have this relationship to the church where they're kind of, they come to church and they're standing on the outside of the church and then judging the church. And it's kind of like, if you guys don't change this, I'm going to leave. And it's really hard to engage in ongoing relationships with people who are kind of one foot in, one foot out. And so I think we can appropriately apply the principle of judging one another in a healthy way within the church when we know that we're part of the same family. Yeah, that's, that's good. So there, I think you're probably going to hear us say this again. I think nuance is really important. So what's happening in culture right now is everyone is polarizing and it's sort of the extreme takes and I'm entirely right and you're entirely wrong. Um, I, I think in a lot of these conversations, uh, a nuanced understanding of, of scripture and kind of how we handle things as Christians is important. And so here's what I mean in this specific context I think is important. Um, I think in some senses, if there's criticism of the hypocrisy of the church, we should be willing to have that type of criticism because, and, and I think I've learned that from Amos, because God gives that type of criticism to the church. So, so often it's a divine critique, not just a human critique. However, at the same time, Jesus also calls the church the bride, his bride, the bride of Christ. And like, if you 
you better be careful if you're going to speak poorly about my wife to me. Like that, that is, you better tread softly, right? So I think we need to have a little bit of that attitude as well. So where we're willing to engage with a critique of the church so we can look more like Christ, but also we do not uh, sort of stand outside the church and critique her and shame her because she is God's bride. So we respect the church. We love the church. We lift up the church because it's, it's the body of Christ. Yep. So uh, next question. There's, I think, three questions kind of related to this. So if you don't hear your exact wording, I'm trying to get kind of combine some questions. But last week, the big idea of my message was that God's patience eventually runs out. And so there's a few questions about that. This one says, um, if we continue to choose sin over God, um, you said that he will eventually let us have our own way and then he will, we will no longer be able to repent. Can you unpack that more? Does that mean we're no longer believers or saved? Does that mean we never were in the first place? How does this coexist with Romans 8, 38 through 39? So let me read Romans 8, 38 through 39 to you guys real quick here. So Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, um, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is a great question because Romans 8, 38 through 39 seems to be saying that once you're in Christ, you're in Christ and you can never be snatched out of his hand. So how can God's patience run out? Now, let me read a couple other verses from Romans. So one before Romans 8 and one after Romans 8 to fill in the context of that passage in Romans 8, okay? So Romans 3, verses 5 through 8, Paul's answering a rhetorical question here, and it says, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with with saying, their condemnation is just. So you see what Paul's saying there. There's people within the church who are saying that God's grace gives them a license to sin. And his statement is simple. He says, People who think about grace like that are under God's just condemnation. And then here's sort of the Apostle Paul's summary, I think, of both Romans 8, 38 through 39 and Romans 3, 5 through 8. And that's in Romans 11, verse 22. He says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And so I think if there was an emphasis last week, it was on the severity of God. God's patience eventually runs out. For what kind of person? For the type of person who refuses to believe that God is kind. Because if you really believe that God is kind, 
the result will be that you'll listen to what he says. And so I think what the Bible is teaching is if you don't respond rightly to God's patience and grace and kindness, which is very long-suffering, then eventually you'll meet a God of wrath. Not because wrath is an attribute of God, but because wrath is God's response to human sin. So what I'm trying to show you when I teach something like that is I'm trying to show you a counterbalance that's coming right from the passage of Scripture that's in front of us to sort of the air that we breathe as evangelicals. Because I think we're just so used to hearing about God's love that we can get this very fluffy picture of God, which allows us to continue in sinful patterns of behavior without ever turning away from them and to believe that we are still Christians. And I think biblically, the writers would either say, you're not a Christian at all, or you are in deep danger of being stuck where you're at. Yeah, I just wanted to add from Romans, another text that I think uh, justifies the idea that you were teaching from Amos. Verse 24 there, uh, sorry, Romans 1, 24. Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passion. So the logic is that um, God is giving people up to their hardened passions as a punishment for the hardening of their heart. So that's just communicating the same concept that Drew was communicating from. Amos last week from the New Testament. So, Jordan, how do we apply biblical justice to all the varying things that we're seeing in our society right now? Mm. Like, we're looking at, um, you know, it seems like every day there's a news story about a police officer killing either an armed or an unarmed black man. There is stories about abortion and, you know, new Supreme Court cases coming in. There's racism. And when you take a book like Amos, we just finished teaching, we've had a lot of offline discussions about this too. How do we apply biblical justice, which is different from social or cultural justice, to these varying topics? And I'm not asking you to apply them necessarily, but just how do you think about (laughs) that? Yeah, yeah, we'll just hit that quick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have two minutes. (laughs) Um, So I think think there's an important, there's a couple important things that Drew even said in his question that are are valuable concepts for us as we try to think through um, how to navigate this moment in culture. So so one of them is... uh, that he said biblical justice. So, so let's just start there. That is a real and true concept. So, so there are people that would deny this idea that the concept of justice has biblical grounding. Part of what we are trying to show in the book of Amos and, and hopefully what you've seen 
is that there is biblical grounding for this concept of the justice of God, meaning his, his ultimate justice where he um, uh, punishes wrong and establishes what is right, but, but justice on this earth, in particular the primary context of Amos, was justice towards the poor, but it talked about power dynamics between the rich and the poor and how it was the responsibility of the rich to understand those dynamics and to lovingly serve the poor as opposed to sort of abusing or taking advantage of the poor. So that concept of biblical justice is founded and applicable to um, areas of, of poverty and, and of race. Um, and so I think that's important. But a second concept inherent in this question that I think is important is there is a distinction between cultural justice and biblical justice. There's, there's a way you can do justice biblically that is different from the way our cultural our, cult, our culture typically handles justice, um, which I don't know if we have time to unpack that. I'll kind of see if you, if you want to go there or not. Um, but uh, I think that is important to understand that there is uh, a difference between those two. So our, our operating point as people trying to pursue biblical justice is that all human beings are created in the image of God and possess, possess inherent dignity, value, and worth, and therefore should be respected and loved and valued regardless of background or differences or political affiliation or, or race or socioeconomic status. And additionally, we as Christians have been instructed by Jesus to lay down our lives for the benefit of the lives of other people. So we as Christians care about these topics and are, are trying to pursue a world and a church where all people, regardless of background or differences, are unified under Christ, where the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down, and where they are loved, valued, and respected and given dignity, regardless of the differences that they have with us. And we understand that power dynamics are not always the explanation for what's happening in the world. They're not the only explanation for what's happening in the world, but power dynamics do exist, and so we want to be aware of those and use any power that we have to love and benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ and our city as opposed to detract from our brothers and sisters in Christ and our city. So that's super, like, in the air. I'm not sure if you'd like more than that. See, or kinda... see and here's the problem with the whole conversation in our society is what Jordan just said. If he posted that on Twitter, he would get a bunch of people responding to him and saying, see, you're a Marxist, you're a liberal because you believe in this power dynamic stuff. You're an advocate for critical race theory. And they would put you in this camp. Yeah. And so here's, here's what biblical justice does is it makes you an equal opportunity offender. And here's what I mean by that. As a church, we believe that abortion is deeply evil. Murder of a child. We believe that homosexuality and transgenderism are sin and wrong. In that we should not embrace those things. We also believe that there are deep injustices 
that have been done against minorities in our country. And I personally believe Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd. There were people who came up to me after I said that in our church and thought it was wrong for me to say that and accused me of being political for saying that. I don't apologize for saying that because what I was doing is applying biblical justice to a specific case. And so what we're trying to do is in this completely polarized culture, we're trying to speak the truth from God's word. And we're not trying to please men, we're seeking to please God in the midst of all that. And we're trying to say, listen, so if you come up to me and you have a criticism for something that I say, I'm not gonna try to offend you and I wanna listen to you and I wanna love you, but I wanna say, give me a verse. Because what I'm concerned about is not what I think and it's not what you think. It's what God thinks. And God says, just, just think about uh, the George Floyd and Derek Chauvin thing with me for a second, okay? God says that if you're even angry with your brother in your heart, you have committed murder, okay? The other police officers who were on George Floyd's body said to Derek Chauvin, He doesn't have a pulse. You just look at the man's face when he's kneeling on him. And if you don't think that God has something to say about that, I don't know what Bible you're reading. That is not a political statement. That is not you should vote for this person or you should vote for that person. That's just like, let's be sane. We're Christians. And if you can't see that an unborn child is a child. God knit us together in our mother's womb. I I mean, I have a friend whose baby was born at 23 weeks, is in the Iowa City Hospital right now, and is on ventilators and life support. And this family is praying that God would save the child. And this whole medical team is recognizing that's a child. And yet, if that child was, was in the womb, You could go to Planned Parenthood right down the street from here and kill the child. That's wrong. And so we have to be able to say from a biblical place, this is wrong. And me taking those two stands makes me neither a conservative or a liberal. It makes me a Christian. And so we have to be able to have that conversation. And I know it's hard. But we have to be able to dig in and we have to be able to say those things. And we have to be able to say them boldly. And you might not have that calling on your life, but that calling is on my life. And so I'm going to say that stuff. And, and that doesn't mean we're going to speak into every single thing. And we're certainly not going to tweet about it. <laughs> okay, so if you yeah. want us to throw up Instagram posts or jump on Snapchat or do whatever you guys are doing and throw out these one-liners. We're just not going to do it because we want to have bold, prophetic, family conversations. And And we we just wouldn't be good at it. Like you and I tweeting, not not good vibes. So anyway, all right, let me pray and then we'll uh, we'll end. If you got more questions for us, feel free to pull us aside. Um, Father God, thank you that uh, you are here with us this morning. Thank you for your word. God, once again, we submit 
to you. And anything that we've said that is not in line with your word, God, would you correct us? Would you point that out to us? If there's any disagreement with your word in our lives, would you draw us to a place of repentance? Your word says that your kindness leads us to repentance. And we want to not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We want to speak bold truth, and we want to live lives of integrity. And we think that that's what it means to be people of justice. We also want to speak up for those who have no voice. Um, We want to love those who are overlooked. And we want to fight, not because we believe that we can turn earth into heaven, but because we believe you are going to one day, as Jordan said. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.